told Garwin a year or so back, I said, we want to give you and Sister Beverly an honorary certificate of ordination with our ministry, our network, and so that they can be recognized. Brother Norm asked me on the phone, y'all remember Brother Norm Spencer from Miami who's now in Ocala? He says he's my oldest spiritual son. He's 84. And so I've got an 84-year-old spiritual son. But he said uh, the people that used to be their covering have all died. And he said, and you're my pastor. So he said, would you ordain, give us a certificate of ordination? I said, of course. Man, he's preached so many times for us and all. Uh, and so today... I want you all to just stand up, would you? I don't, I'm not going to put you through any rigorous anything. I just want to give you this. And here is a beautiful certificate, one for Brother Garland and one for Sister Beverly. Oh, and so thank now you. you've been a part of our family for a long time. And I was ordained originally in the Assemblies of God, and her father was my pastor when I first got licensed in the ministry. And we became fast and just close for many, many years until his passing. And, and so now we've continued the bond through his children, but especially Sister Beverly, Brother Garland, and their children. And uh, their son is doing a fantastic job in Homa, right? Homa, Louisiana. And he has a church that's just busting out at the seams. And he's reaching a lot of people down in South Louisiana. And I think we need to bring him up here sometime and preach for us. But uh, Pastor Ken, would you come and help me? He is our dean of the Ministry Institute. He's over our ministry school. And we have licensed or ordained in the last 30 years around about 300 ministers. And many have become missionaries, pastors, assistant pastors, traveling ministers. Uh, it's so funny because, and this is, but we've had people that came in and got saved. I'll never forget Doug Meir. He came when we were in the Homestead Middle School, and I prayed for him. Actually, he used to date Stephanie. That's the funny thing. And then they broke it off, and she started dating Pastor Ken. And they ended up getting married. Well, Doug came to find out what was going on. And he came, and he got saved in our church, and I prayed for him. And he fell out in the spirit on the floor, and he looked up, and he saw a big cloud that spelled the word fear. How many know that fear is not of God? And he said, when I spoke over him, that cloud went poof, and it was gone. And then he knew everything was going to be all right. And so he started going to our church, attending the ministry school. He ended up getting ordained. He got his uh, certification as a, uh, an addiction uh, counselor in Miami. And then he came to me one day because he started going on a mission field with me on trips. And he said, Pastor Kevin, I think God wants me to go to Mexico. 
And he went to Guadalajara and began to work in a drug rehab center and learn, Mex or learn Spanish, not Mexican, learn Spanish because, you know, you don't have to live in Mexico to just speak Spanish. There's so many Spanish people. I think there's more Spanish people than there is English-speaking people. Like Ellie said, they're going to speak Spanish in heaven. And I always said I'm going to have to go to heaven to do that very well. <laughs> One day I'll be able to. <laughs> Until then, I have to use Tino and Isaac and Ellie and people like that. And I don't ever know if they're preaching my sermons or not. But it turns out pretty good because we get good results. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> but uh, I've been honored to be a pastor to many. Tino came to me. I don't know, 28 years ago maybe, and said Globe Missionary Evangelism was breaking away from liberty. And being on their own, they told all their missionaries to get a pastor. And they'd been down with us, and I'd been to Mexico a few times, and he said, would you be my pastor? I said, well, I would be honored. And so I've been their pastor for over two decades now, two and a half decades. And Brother Ellie came to work with me, and... and for like five years, wasn't it? Four or five years, thereabouts. But, you know, I'm like a piece of gum, and you get, get it on the shoe, you'll never get rid of it. you got to scrape it off, and they hadn't scraped me off yet. So uh, he and I are fast and sure buddies. I'd call him a spiritual son. That he, He's almost, what are you, about 52 now? 51, I was close. I'd be a teenage dad if I was his dad but be a spiritual dad it's okay but uh, I, I call him he belongs with us and I'm thankful he is an awesome man of God and he's asked me more than once uh, did I help ordain Jerson also Jerson Garcia from from Hollywood California preach for him he's a Guatemalan uh, brother his wife's Mexican and boy what a great couple they are we had such times. Zach's been out there too, and I think Isaac's been there since, and it's been awesome. But Ellie, if you would come, Brother Ellie Hernandez, he preached a fabulous message last night. Everybody's so full, they didn't even want to come up and give prayer. I said, man, this is a miracle. You know, they got so much. It was great. And then we want to ask Brother Jerson, uh, help me. Noun. I want to say Nam, but it's not right. But it's like Nam. And I tell you what, I don't know. You want to say something to everybody about how you feel about the call to ministry or, or if Ellie needs to translate for you if you, yeah. you don't feel like you got all the words? Yeah. We, we say in Spanish, the journey has been a long one, but I have finally arrived. This uh, last Friday, I had a conversation with the Lord while the praise team was ministering. 
So I told the Lord, I don't think I'm capable of. I definitely need from you because otherwise I won't make it. And I know you've shown me for a long time now, but I need you to tell me one more time. And uh, the brothers, the, the band was uh, singing the same song that we're doing today. Christ is my firm foundation. And even everything else will be shaking around me. He is with me and he'll give me strength. So then I said, Lord, I am ready. So they will lay hands on me and anoint me. But really, I don't want them to, for them to lay hands on me and anoint me. But I would like for you to lay hands on me and you anoint me. Immediately, the praise team began to sing the priesthood uh, blessing. And uh, God took away all of my fears and all of my doubts to finally realize I must make this decision. So I believe you all know that I had a terrible night last night. <laughs> but I sought the presence of the Lord. And I felt his strength and his uh, warmth. So here I am, ready to serve. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, your home country, is it Puerto Rico? Honduras. Honduras. And your wife? Honduras also. And Ellie is from Cuba. Brother Neftali, Neftali he is from Puerto Rico. And Brother Tino's, Sister Sarah's family is from Mexico. And so we're just covering a lot of the bases today. But uh, we're honored to lay hands on you and anoint you today. Just turn so I can turn towards you. Second Timothy, Paul told Timothy, he said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at the appearing of his kingdom. You understand me. Okay. Preach the word. He said, preach the word. Hallelujah. He re be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and he turned aside, be turned aside in fables. But you, Brother Naomi, 
You be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. And fulfill your ministry. And see, this young man right here is about to start a church on November the 5th in Clayton area of Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. So this is a very appropriate passage. You're going to have to evangelize and win people into the kingdom. So we're going to anoint you. Brother Garland, won't you join us up here, if you would? And we're going to anoint him since you're our speaker today. And we're going to lay hands on our brother. You just join me here. Father, in the name of the Lord Most High, Jesus the Christ, we speak a holy blessing upon Jerson Naon Garcia that you are going to anoint him. You're going to anoint his tongue. You're going to anoint his hands and his feet. And you're going to give him wisdom and authority to preach the word with, a, with an ability to draw people to the cross. And I give you praise for his life today. And I ask you, release your anointing all over him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet and fill him up to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and fire and give him that ability to win the lost like never before and then to raise them up and disciple them into good people of God. And we ask you to bless his family, his wife, his children, all of them, Lord, and allow him to walk with a new authority by your name and your anointing. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Hallelujah. Yes. Yeah. And use these hands, Lord. Yes. To lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Somebody give a praise unto the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Jesus. Ha, ha. Amen, brother. And don't forget, when I come back to Raleigh-Durham, I'm coming to your house. I went there one time. I didn't want to leave. I thought I was in pork chop heaven. I said, I am a Gentile, so I don't have to worry about eating pork because it's all right for the Gentiles. Paul said so. You know, that's right. So anyway, you are a lovely family, and we appreciate you and are thrilled to have you a part of our networking. Adding another church to be a part with us doing the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing. What an awesome day this is. Amen. Have you been blessed this weekend? Say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I like the way y'all obey. <laughs> Say amen. amen. <laughs> there. See what I said? I wish my students would have been that obedient when I was a school teacher. 
But anyway, we want to bless them with a love offering, our speakers. So if you would prepare to give something. You know, I always said if you don't have any money, pull a button off your shirt. You know, that seed. You put a button in, you may get a shirt back from somebody. But God always blesses those who bless others. Amen? And so if all you got is a quarter, put a quarter in there. If you got a dollar, put a dollar. If you got more, if you're really well off, well, I won't even tell you what to do, but God will. You just go ahead and be a blessing and put a good offering in there, and we'll bless them well. They traveled a long way. The Bilbos came from New Orleans, Gonzales. They actually live in Gonzales, which is between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. They got two churches they pastor. I've gone there before. Now, I'll tell you what, you're, on, you're like getting ready to run a race. He goes, get in here now, and then as soon as we're done, you got to be done by a certain time. I was prophesying, praying like this, real quick. And then he said, come on, get in the car. We go and jump in the car. We drive over to New Orleans. And the praise and worship is just ending at the New Orleans church. And we walk in. We go sit on the front row. And he gets up there and says, now our guest speaker is getting up to come and preach. And I'm like, okay. But what great churches that they have down there. It's just tremendous. And we appreciate their ministry and how they've touched so many lives. And uh, they have powerful ministry. Prophetically, they've done a lot of deliverance, seen a lot of salvations, and people filled with the Holy Spirit. And you'll be blessed today when Brother Garland comes and preaches. But let's get ready. Got your love offering? All right, you're going to give. The Word of God says, If you give, it shall be given unto you. Press down. That means, like when I get our trash can, Bryson, I go in there and I press it down. I don't want to take that trash out yet. So then we can put more in there. And we just keep pushing in. That's what the Lord does for you. He presses those blessings down and He wants to pour more in. How many want to be blessed? Well, you just let the Lord bless you. Don't hoard it. Give it away. Help others. Be a blessing to people that are in need. And... Uh, get off into any stories. I'm dangerous here when I'm outside the pulpit. But we want God to bless you so it's pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men will come and put into your bosom. I loved it down in South Florida because they would come and give me mangoes and avocados and star fruits. Just about every kind of thing you can imagine. I had one family in the church had a banana plantation. They had 40 different types of bananas. I was eating bananas out my ears. But, you know, it was, it was so great. And then here, Brother Sherman would bring zucchinis. And my wife would make him a zucchini bread. And she'd make me one, too. But uh, just Pastor Ken will bring me tomatoes and cucumbers and green peppers. And, I mean, Sherman would bring corn and green beans. And uh, just different ones would come and put it into our bosom. God can do it. Amen? Anyway, we bless this offering. Bless the givers, Lord. Bless them when they receive the word of God today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go ahead and receive the offering, guys. And uh, just any, uh, we do have some donuts, but I put them, I hid them in the kitchen. 
Liam was going crazy for those donuts. I had to take the temptation away from him, Stephen. <laughs> he was. You got to raise that week or whatever's taking place. You're going to need to worship him anyway. Amen? I'm going to praise him anyhow. I, uh, preparing for uh, today, I've been um, wrestling with various different scriptures, topics. This is high. Man, I'm short too, I guess. I don't know, man. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, I, I love um, I love the scripture and I love um, types and shadows throughout scripture. And it kind of gets my blood going a little bit, you know. And so, I know the last time that I was here, I think that um, we talked about the prof about prophecies through the ages, and I think I may have shared a little bit about uh, the woman with the issue of blood, twelve years, and then at the same time, Jairus's daughter is dying at twelve years old, and how that uh, I take that as a correlation of the of two women having a problem there, and uh, the older was a representation of the older church, and the Jairus's daughter was a representation of the emerging church. So you have an existing church, an emerging church, and and it's interesting how that um, the older woman got healed because she pushed her way through the crowd to receive what Christ had for her. She spent everything that she had on all the physicians, everything that was around, and, and the word says, and grew no better. And um, then you see her pushing her way through the crowd. She positioned herself for her miracle. And then you have Jairus' daughter. Jesus was going to Jairus' house, but along the way, the older woman stopped him. And he turns and said, who touched me? And the woman in fear says it was me because it was unlawful for her to reach out and touch a Jew. And here Jesus finishes there, goes to Jairus' house, and the 12-year-old child is raised up. So the parallel that I look at with that is you have the existing church, and if the existing church doesn't get things right, then the emerging church has no pattern to walk after. And I think there needs to be in the existing church today repentance. And I, I haven't come to talk to you about repentance, but it's going to come out today because I believe that we're in a stage in life today that there needs to be repentance in the church. I mean, I, I walk a lifestyle of repentance, you know, uh, I'm, I'm repenting every day. You say, well, you're sinning every day? I'm covering myself, baby. Because in aid inside of me, there's attitudes that need to come out. And there's times where things come up where I stumble. I'm not talking about sins, or what, but just attitudes. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it's sin. So if there's somebody there that I'm supposed to pray for and I don't pray for them, then something is wrong within me that I'm not exhibiting the gospel of Jesus Christ to lay hands on someone. Making sense. 
And so we, we find that there are stories within the scripture that, that I think go deeper than just the, the print that is there. And I believe that we need to have revelation of the word of God. Uh, Bev and I, uh, this next week, we'll be uh, putting ourselves away uh, to write books. I've got three books that I'm, that I'm wanting to get out, and one of them is on Revelation interpreting the word of God, seeing revelation. What can revelation do for you? The next is going to be our purpose and then our destiny. When I start looking at the purpose and how in scripture uh, uh, we find that your purpose is going to be fulfilled if you're walking those things out that God wants you to walk out. And so we're going to put ourselves away. She's got some books on fear that she's going to be writing on. And I'm thinking, we're thinking about reviving we wrote a book years ago on the jezebel spirit but there's so much that has been revealed in our world today that we're seeing so many other dimensions of the jezebel spirit that that our nation has faced and don't want to go there with with that uh, don't want to run those rabbits today i've run them so much at my house and and at home i've got people mad at me Imagine that. I I want to go in the book of uh, John, verse four, uh, chapter fourteen, verse sixteen. It says, "And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Comforter." Now, when you look at the original Greek in that, the interpretation of that is I will give you another, but he's the same. So Jesus, Jesus is saying, up until this point, fellas, I've been your comforter. I've been there for you. I've been in the midst of the boat when you were crying out, saying, don't you care that we perish? And I've come forward, and I spoke to the wind, spoke to the, I rebuked the wind, and I spoke to the waves, or vice versa. Which one is it? And I think that in that, we finding Jesus speaks to one and rebukes the other. I think we need to learn what we need to rebuke and what we need to speak peace to. Man, y'all quiet. Right about this time in New Orleans, um, our church is about 65% African American. Bev got up to sing last week when I was coming in. I was putting my microphone on in the back by the podium, and they were filming, and one of the young men that grew up in our youth group uh, uh, was filming, videoing and Bev got to sing and he, he says this, just nonchalantly, he said oh it's about to get black up in here <laughs> so y'all gonna have to talk to me a little bit because it does get better when you talk to me amen come on now we don't need to be the frozen chosen this morning. Amen. There you go, brother. Come on. He says, I'm going to send you another comforter. And it, mean, it means another, but is just like him. Just like Christ. And when you start looking at this and beginning to understand that the scripture tells us that, that we need to do the things that Jesus did. And it says, and greater things shall ye do. And that kind of blows your mind a little bit because we're looking at Christ as being part of the Godhead, the Son of God, 
coming into the world, and he could do nothing wrong. He was without sin. Man, he, in the midst of a skirmish, uh, Peter uh, pulls out his sword and whacks an ear off. Jesus reaches down and puts the ear back on. I mean, total conflict of what nature would say. He's going, he goes out, and he's uh, at, a, at a, a, a party of 5,000 men alone. Women and children are there also. And he says, what do we have to feed them? And the disciple says, boss, we ain't got nothing. There's no stores open right now. He says, well, what do we have? And one young boy had the sense to bring a lunch. Five loaves, two fish. What does Jesus do? He takes it. He breaks it. He blesses it. He gives it to the disciples because he wanted them involved in the miracle because he was teaching them how to operate in another dimension. He defied the laws of nature. Jesus multiplied it to the point that all 5,000 ate their capacity. They ate every person there. I'm going to tell you, if I go to an all-you-can-eat catfish house, I could do some damage in there. I try to stay away from buffets, you know, because I hurt myself. But if I go to a, a, a little catfish place, I'm saying, come on, bring some more. Bring. Girl, forget the hush puppies. Forget the coleslaw. Bring the fillets. And Brother Kevin got to talking about food, and I figure I need to start talking about food. It's about that time. Jesus defies nature. He multiplies it until they had 12 baskets left over and sent it back to the cities. 12 baskets, I think, was representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and they sent a basket to each tribe to let them know it was a new sheriff in town. Someone that was going to demonstrate the power of God. Now he says, I want you to go until you're filled and endued with power. In Acts chapter 2, endued with power. They go into the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. The word begins to describe it in ways that we can't imagine. It said, cloven tongues like as a fire came and descended upon each one of them. And they begin to speak in tongues. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And then we find that the early church, after being filled with the Holy Ghost, they now come out and people don't understand what's going on in these people. And they're saying they're drunk. And it's 9 o'clock in the morning. And look at them. They're drunk. And, and, and here comes out and says, we're not drunk as you suppose. But this is that that Joel prophesied. He had to bring them back to the word for them to understand what was going on. Because there's some things in the spirit we just don't understand. There's some things that happen that will blow your mind. How can you explain? We were in, we were in the Bahamas one time with a, a youth choir that we brought there. And, and we were teaching these kids. And, and uh, so the choir was singing. We went out on the streets witnessing, come back the next day, and they have a, a, an individual that, that they had ministered to on the streets, and she tried to get in the door, but this church, being so religious, wouldn't allow them in because of the way she was dressed. She was a prostitute. And so the kids that, that was out witnessing went up, 
got out of their seats, went to the back door because they saw what was going on, and they put her in the middle of them, and they walked her up to the second row. And the deacons of the church are blown away, and now we got a girl coming up with hot pants on and everything else, you know, hanging out and everything, you know, just, you can imagine, sitting on the second row. And in the middle of the altar call, she starts levitating off of the ground. Come on. How can you explain what demons do in people's lives? You can't explain that. But there's one thing that we can understand, that the power of God that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. And we laid hands on her, and she fell down like a limp rag on the floor. And when she came to, she said, how did I get in here? I feel so clean. I feel so good inside. Now it's getting the attentions of the deacons. About the same time, a man falls out on the floor, and he now starts slithering out of the, uh, of the church trying to get out of there like a snake would be crawling down the aisle. Now, this is what blew my mind. These deacons grabbed their Bibles, and they started beating this poor man down the aisle with the word. Like, what kind of theology is that, man? <laughs> and so... I said, wait, 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 just a minute. And, and the deacons are looking at me like I'm crazy. And I called 14, 15-year-old kids over. I said, y'all come and deal with this demon. They got down around that man, laid hands on him. And I'm telling you, he was delivered by the power of God. He sat up. He said, I feel so good inside. I don't have the anger. And the deacons now are looking at two demonstrations of people being delivered by demonic powers and now come to our kids and grab them by the hand and said, put your hands on me and pray for me that I can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this was a Pentecostal church. Not everything that is labeled certain ways operate based upon its label. You can call yourself a Christian and not operate as a Christian. You can walk outside those doors and cuss somebody out in the parking lot. That's not a Christian. You're giving the rest of us a bad reputation. Come on. It got quiet. I, I just felt the air got sucked out of here just a moment when I, when I said that. And so when I'm looking at Scripture and I'm looking at us as individuals and believers, I begin to see that God in his infinite wisdom and understanding, knew that when Jesus was leaving the earth, that we had to have a comforter to come, which was different, but the same. He's different. He's the Holy Ghost. But he does the same of what Jesus did. He said, Jesus said, anytime people ask him, he responded, well, you see me, you see my father. You hear the things that I say, you hear what my father would be saying. You see the things I'm doing, that's what my father was doing. I'm about my father's business. He was so focused on kingdom that he didn't allow anything to interfere with his destiny and the purpose that the father sent him there for. Now, this spirit called the Holy Spirit, is dwelling in us. And the word says that he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. But I want to take it to a whole different level. The same spirit 
that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in you. Now, it begins to give us a clearer picture of what's going on. But we disqualify ourselves many times when we're thinking about that. How can this be for me? And we back away thinking there's no way that the Holy Spirit could use me in that fashion. Well, if, if that was true, then why did God place in his word that says, and greater things shall ye do than what Christ did. That's something that we should meditate on. That's something that we should really ponder and really think about because God wants to use the Holy Spirit through you to change the world, to change your family, to change the destiny of your community, of your neighborhood. It's time that the church begins to start standing up and taking its place. And, 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 and the, the Kumbaya church, I'm sorry, we don't need that because it's not producing what we need to produce in a world that's dying and going to hell. We need a spirit-filled power church that understands the authority that is within us and give that authority a measure to be able to work through our life that we can see the demonstration power of God every day of our life. I can remember years ago, I was stressed out working. And I left, it was about 3 o'clock in the evening. I went to go get lunch. I just wanted to be by myself. You ever, anybody ever have one of those? You just want to be by yourself because you're trying to work things out, and you can't have a lot of clatter in order to be able to work things out. And so I went to a place called New Orleans Hamburgers to sit down and just get me a good hamburger. While I'm sitting there, I see somebody come walk in front of the glass of the building, and I said, Lord, not now, please. I don't want to deal with this. And a woman came into that room, and the demons that was in her threw her on the ground right in front of my table. You talking about mess your lunch up. Bev was in Walmart one time, and, and I'm sitting over there waiting. I find a little chair, and I'm kind of a people watcher, you know. I, I'm, I'm actually I'm really a shy person, and I'll... I'll find myself, if you, if you look for me, I'll find myself at the end of a table. I don't get around crowds. I just, that's just me. I know I'm wrong for doing that, and I know that I need to get around people. I need people in my life. But I don't like people. <laughs> I'm just joking with that. Not really, but I mean, I got to say it that way. But, uh. And so I'm, I'm sitting on a, on a, a little stool out there, a little bench out there, and I'm looking, and I'm hearing a commotion going on at one of the registers, and I, I stood up to see what was happening because it was getting loud. And I looked over, and I saw this little short blonde that stood about this tall. I looked over there, and Bev is having a confrontation with a woman that is behind the register that because of the presence of the Holy Spirit that she was carrying, 
caused those demons that was in the woman to manifest. And these demons started screaming out at her to the point that all the managers began to run to where they were. And Bev was not making eye contact with this woman. She said, look, all I want to do is check out, take my stuff so I can go home. And you say, well, why didn't you cast out the devil? Well, I think sometimes when you, when you operate in these dimensions, you begin to look and say, you know, if that person is not willing to give that thing up, and I have the power to cast that thing out, and it comes out, it's going to come back looking for its territory. And when he finds that it's been swept and garnished, it's going to go get seven more more powerful. So we're really not doing justice to the individual. I know people will have problems with that comment, but think about it for a moment. I was talking to a bishop out in, in Zimbabwe, and he was talking about a, a young person that had died, a child that had died. And um, somebody at the table says, well, why didn't y'all just raise him from the dead? And his comment was, to what? So the flies can eat their eyes again? So they can deal with malaria? So they can deal with malnutrition? What are they going to grow up in? And I'm going to tell you what, that kind of stunned me. I'm fascinated with people like the sons of fire. Sons of thunder. They call down fire. Something was going on to where they said, hey, shall we, which gives the indication in their comment that they have done this before, shall we call fire down upon them? Why would you say something like that if you haven't done that before? I don't know. There's no record of them doing that. But just in my imagination thinking, just as I'm reading it, they probably had the ability to call fire down, and they knew it. And Jesus turns to them and says, what spirit are you of? When I'm looking at the Holy Spirit how he works and operates in our life and I need somebody to help me with my, with my time here. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 through 30, and when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him crying. Now in the Greek it begins to talk about that word crying as being yelling, screaming constantly. So it begins to set a different picture. It's not just somebody who's in a corner weeping and feeling sorry for themselves. They were desperate for a miracle in their life. And he says, they were crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he, saw, and, and when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? Now, get the picture here. They're following him through the city. And they're screaming. They're not just crying. They're not just wiping, wiping their tears. They're screaming. They're crying out loud. They're screaming, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on us. Maybe he didn't hear us. Jesus! And they're walking behind him, crying out, screaming out, Jesus. I would say they were desperate. And Jesus goes into a house, and here they come following him in. And he turns to them and says, 
Do you believe I could do this? Do you believe that Jesus can do anything? Oh, we sing that song. He can do anything and everything. He'll never let us down. He's going to lift us up. He's going to, he's going to work in us. He's going to change our lives. He's going to cause the depression to become joy. I believe he can do it. I believe he can heal people. I believe he can raise the dead. I believe he can do whatever he wants to do. I believe that's who he is. Now look at this. It says, and when he departed thence, two blind men followed him crying and saying, Now son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, so be it unto you. According to your faith, so be it unto you. I think one of the battles that we have is our faith. The word says, and we quote this, and it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's just just hearing one time. It's hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing until we get it. And then I go to the next verse, and I'm hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing till I get it. I got to get the word of God in me because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if faith, if the word of God is what charges my faith, then I need to get to the pump and hook up to the pump and let it begin to pour in me something that charges my faith that I can do what he said I can do. I am who he says I am. I can have what he says I can have. Come on. I want to I go into I want to go into Old Testament, if you will, into First um, Kings. We find in First Kings chapter 16, 17 and 18, a, a, a tremendous journey that a prophet, an incredible individual, is operating in the power and in the glory of God. We find Elijah at this moment that he's coming to a city. We find Ahab and Jezebel are very much active. It's very much where our nation is. We find that Ahab, Ahab now uh, gives authority to rebuild the walls of Jericho. Remember the Joshua's prophecy? He says, he says, whoever rebuilds Jericho their first child will die at the foundation. Their last child will die at the gates when they're hung. And this is what's taking place. And I believe that, that we have in our nation things that have been torn down being rebuilt. And as a result of it, it's releasing demonic spirits into this region. And I believe we have ancient spirits that have come into our nation. 
We had one president that got up and says, we're no longer, we're no longer a Christian nation. And from that seat of authority, he now opens up a door for demonic powers to come into our nation that we had tore down and we have left the nation so that we can worship God how we want to worship God without any restraints on us. And now we have someone gets up in that seat of authority and now releases demonic powers to come into our nation. And that's what we're fighting. We're fighting Baal. We find it Ahab marries a Baal worshiper and then builds a temple for them to worship Baal in Israel. I don't know if you're paying attention to anything that's going on, and it really doesn't matter. I'm trying to pay attention to what's happening because I want to know where we are in Scripture and what I'm facing. The word says that the sons of Essachar understood the times and the seasons, but it wasn't enough just to know the times and seasons. It has to be completed by knowing what to do in the times and seasons that you're in. I don't think we have a world that doesn't know what to do, and so, so the world now is in a panic. Fear is gripping. Oh, you, you can go to the announcers, ABC, NBC, uh, all these different ones uh, that, that are announcing an agenda. I'm okay with this. They're announcing agenda. And people now are living in such fear of what's being brought forth across their television. There comes a point that it's good to have a little knowledge of what's going on, but there comes a point you've got to turn it off. You got to turn it off and get in your prayer closet and begin to pray and understand what God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this season, God? Because I want to be on your side. I want to be doing what you want me to do. And so we're dealing with Baal, we're dealing with Moloch. You know, I mean, we've got all these things. We've got reversals of, of, of judgments that have taken place and and Roe versus Wade has been flipped over, and now, now things are trying to get back too. So there is a battle in the spirit realm right now that the average church person really doesn't understand. What are we in? What times are we in? Well, look in Scripture. The Word says in the, in the last days that the Euphrates will dry up. Go and Google Euphrates and see some pictures of it before and after where it is right now. It's telling us right there that we're in the end times. So what do we do in this time that we're in? You say, well, Jesus is coming back soon? Uh, he's coming back quicker than it was yesterday. <laughs> I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. Only the Father knows when he's going to return. So I'm not making any predictions of when he's coming, but I can make a prediction of the season that we're in. And what I need to do in this season. I want you to look at this. Elijah, I'm just going to, just for time's sake, and help me out with my time, Bill. Just for time's sake, I'm just going to scan over this here. Elijah comes to town, and he says something that's very peculiar. He said, it'll not rain till I say so. Then a drought comes. He's down by the Euphrates, he's down by the different places, and ravens are coming to feed him. What a supernatural moment. There's a woman that, that, that is having some problems, and he goes in, 
He says, you got any oil? Do you have any meal? What do you have? Go and borrow. Get all the stuff. And so now a miracle begins to take. He's in a drought performing miracles. Then you find the next scene, before it rains, you find the next scene where he calls fire down. He makes a statement to the children of Israel. He says, how long will you be between two opinions? Chapter 17. How long will you be between two opinions? He builds an altar. The prophets of Baal, those that were on staff for Jezebel, they're now prophesying. They're, they're, they're convincing the people to serve a false god. They're prophesying what she wanted them to prophesy. Hear what I'm saying? They were regurgitating what her desires were to get the people off course of what God intended for them to walk in. Am I making any sense? So now, Elijah begins to confront 850 of her clonies. 400 prophets of, of the grove, 450 prophets of, of, of Baal. And now, 850 to 1. What are the odds that Elijah in the natural is going to win this battle? In the natural, people don't know what's happening. He says, build an altar. Build an altar. He's building his altar. They're building their altar. He says, the God that answers by fire, whether it's Baal or whether it's our God, we will serve him. I believe that we're in a place in our world right now. The people are, are going to have to make a choice. What God they're going to serve. Look, all, all this relative truth stuff is all relative to the God you serve. So when you look at Ashtar, which is a spirit that is prevalent in our nation right now, if you do any research about Ashtar, Ashtar has eunuchs, mutilated men that are now dressed like women in dresses, carrying purses, and pearls around their neck. It's prevalent right now. That spirit is now trying to infiltrate our children and steal our children and their purpose. Now look at this. Anytime that there is a move of God about to take place and begin to come forth, Jezebel always arrives on the scene and does her work and brings her gods with her. So we have a drought, and now he calls fire down. He says, how long will you be between two opinions? The prophets of Baal, prophets of the grove, they're cutting themselves. We got, we, got a, we got a world of cutters today that are cutting themselves. Young people cutting themselves. What's causing that? It's demon spirits that are ancient spirits that have come into our nation that have no authority in our nation. But because the church has gone to sleep, 
We're not taking the authority that God has given to us. And this is why I begin to preach about Samson. Use me one more time, God. Remember me one more time. I might be blind right now. They pulled my eyes out, but avenge me. Avenge me. So we have these things that we're dealing with, and all of a sudden, Elijah begins to mock the prophets of Baal, the prophets of, of the grove, and says, your God must be busy. In fact, maybe he's gone to the bathroom. That's what he says. He doesn't use that vernacular, but in that time, they understood what he was talking about. I'm telling you, that was the, the worst thing that Elijah could have said to mock their God. Elijah wasn't afraid. He calls fire down. And the word said he put, after he put barrels of water, they dug a trench and he put barrels, soaked every piece of wood with water so there would be no doubt in the minds of Israel that God is alive. I'm going somewhere with this. And then the next scene you see after the drought and after the fire, you see rain. So there's got to be a pattern in here. And if I can find that pattern, I can understand some of the things I go through, some of the things I've been through, and where ultimately I'm headed. Just like the woman with the issue of blood. And the child that's dying, both of them 12 years. One's been sick for 12 years, one's 12 years old. So at the same time, something attacked that generation. And both females, so it had to be talking about the church. Here, here he is. He's called down fire. He's called a drought. And now he says to his servant, Go and see what you're seeing on the horizon. Tell me what is on the horizon while he's praying, while he's seeking the face of God. He's got his head between his knees. And some people say when you read the commentaries, you say that the reason that he was, he was in that position, he was birthing something. I kind of think that, that he was also had his head between his knees because he needed to block out anything that would interfere with the focus of him praying this thing through. And sometimes we have to block what's coming from the outside that is going to defy all odds and defy nature. We have to block those things. So I think he was covering his ears from any negative thing that would come forward. I don't know. I'm just saying, that's just me. And now... His servant comes back. He says, boss, I don't see anything. He said, go again. Go again. He comes back the last time, and he says, I see just a little cloud. It's not much, but it's about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah takes that, jumps up. He says, go tell Ahab. Now, look at this. Ahab was the one that gave permission to rebuild the walls of Jericho. He defiled the office of king. He was worse than the ones that were before him. 
He was a rascal. He married a Baal worshiper, brought her into Israel, built a temple and altars for her to worship foreign gods in Israel. And now Elijah is saying, go tell him to get out of that valley because I hear an abundance of rain. I'm going to tell you the mercy that God has on people is undeniable. I thank God for his mercy. I thank God for his grace. But like Paul says, I'm not going to take advantage of that grace, and I'm not going to take advantage of that mercy, and I'm not going to live where I've been living. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to remove myself from those things. And here he says, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And so he girds up himself and he outruns the chariot that was riding Ahab into the city. He said, well, what, where are you going with this? I think there's three things that we need to pay attention to. One is the drought. Has anybody in here ever been in a drought? You had a dry season in your life. You had a point where that you didn't know what was going to take place. You didn't know how you were going to feed your children. You didn't know how you were going to keep your lights on. I don't know what kind of drought you might have been. It might have been a, a bad doctor's report, and you didn't know what you were going to do because of the doctor's report that was there. And I think everybody in here, no matter how old you are, at some time in your life, you've been through a drought. But what I find is that in the church world, especially here in America, we don't want to experience the fire. We want to come out of the drought and straight into the rain. So we're praying, God, send the rain in the midst of a drought. But God's next step is the fire. You can't bypass the fire, which the fire is not something that you dance to. Fire drives you to your knees and causes you to repent. Because it is a purifying that comes inside of your soul and begins to burn away those things that should not be in there. I think that people don't read scripture many times and, and they bypass 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. The weapons of a warfare are not carnal but they're mighty through God. They're the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds are things that have you bound. Strongholds are, are things that Man, you could be going one day, maybe a week, maybe a month, and then all of a sudden the stronghold says, today's your day you're going to be active in, in that that you have been bound with and grabs a hold of you and prevents you from going what, where inside you know you want to go. God, I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. I want to do what's right. I want to, I want to be with you. I don't, want to, I don't want to be taking these drags on, on all this stuff. I don't want to be shooting my arms with things. I don't want to be, be, be drinking. I don't want to have all these things taking place in my life. I want to live a pure life before you, God. And then all of a sudden, something rises up inside of you, grabs a hold of you, slings you down, and now you're doing what it's telling you to do, and you become a slave to sin. But the word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. And then it says this, casting down imaginations and any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's not God's job. 
That's not what Jesus is going to do. And that's not what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. That's something that he has assigned to each and every one of us that we cast down imagination and any thought, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, you have to cast it down. And if you don't take and make the choice to cast these things down, they will keep working you and destroying your life. You've got to close the door. You've got to close the door to bad attitudes. You got to close the door to temptations. You got to close the door to the imaginations. Bev and I, in our marriage, if I allow my imagination to run, if she allows her imagination to run, and here we are in the middle of, of, of a discussion that becomes heated, then in the midst of that, if she lets her imagination run, she might think because I'm loud and because my voice is deep that I might be mad. And now she takes that, runs off, and says, man, what's wrong? I didn't say anything right. And then before long, it becomes a, a war. I could do the same thing. What is she doing? What did she say? Why did she do this? And her imagination can begin to run. And what happens is it begins to damage our relationship because we didn't take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ and cast down imaginations that would work against our marriage. I'm just, I'm just using this as a, as a teaching just for a moment. The same thing works in our life. That if I don't take control of my thought life and allow imaginations to rise up within me, then I'm going to have it control me. stirring stuff right now. So if I don't take in char charge of where I am, then something's going to take charge of me. I can feed myself everything that's in this world and the world will begin to take charge of my soul. But if I feed my soul the word of God, then I now begin to introduce my soul to the word that brings change to my soul. So every mocking spirit, every demonic power, every hindering spirit has to go when I'm now exposed to the word of God that wants to come and cleanse me and cause me to be what God's called me to be. Is making any sense? So I'm dealing with me how I'm created. I'm dealing with my body, my soul, and my spirit. Just for a moment, if you can just imagine with me, I'm being the soul. Everything that comes out of my soul is a decision that I have made. My intellect, my knowledge, my understanding is all resided in my soul. The word says a double-minded man, that's part of your soul. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The original says a two-souled man is unstable. I cannot be divided and wanting God in my life 
and wanting to live according to the world. I have to make a decision. And that decision is not being made by your flesh. And it's not going to be made by your spirit. Your spirit will influence you. But where it makes the, 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 where the rubber meets the road is in the soul. So I have to take, I got I to gotta have an illustration. Okay, just run, time out. spirit, my flesh, my soul. The spirit of God speaks to my spirit. My spirit is so close to my soul that the word says that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword separating and dividing between the bone and the marrow as it would between the soul and the spirit. So my soul and spirit can look like each other. And there's sometimes I'm really not discerning right properly because I, my spirit and my soul are so close together that when God begins to speak to me or if something else begins to speak to me, I can't discern whether it's of God or not of God. God, did you tell me that or is that just me? So the word of God is what separates my spirit from my soul so I can discern what's of God and what's of my flesh. Are you with me? My flesh now, the word says, is enmity against God. It's fighting against God. It doesn't want God. It wants to do what it wants to do. It doesn't want to make a decision. But your soul is what has to make the decision. And your soul is what's in jeopardy if you allow your flesh to make that decision. So my soul has to decide who it's going to follow. The problem that we have when we see the word that tells us that we were created in the image and in the likeness of God, we find that there are three, but they're one. I'm made up of body, soul, and spirit. But the problem that I fight is having all of us become one. And until I can become one in myself, by me, the soul man, I'm a soul man. <laughs> Making the decision that I'm going to follow after the spirit and not after the flesh. Come on. So what I have to do is reach around and grab the flesh by the neck and get right in its face and tell it, you're going to listen to me. I'm not listening to you any longer. And pull that flesh in order. And now your central control, central command station, your soul. Now let me tell you, it's not your flesh that's going to stand before God in eternity. And it's not your spirit. Because when you die, your flesh is going to return to the dust of the ground. And your spirit is going to return back to God. So when you're standing before God on judgment day, it's going to be your soul. And he's going to say one of two things. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Now listen to that. Depart from me. I never knew you. I couldn't find you. 
I couldn't find you. You were nowhere I was looking. You were always running after your flesh. And I looked for you and looked for you and looked for you and I couldn't find you. Therefore, I don't know you. That's the scariest words that's in Scripture. And we want to play church. We want to be so religious that we want to point fingers about everybody else, but we're not dealing with ourselves. Samson can judge Israel, but he couldn't judge his own soul. So my spirit and my flesh has to come in order. And I'm the one that makes the decision whether I'm going to follow after the spirit or whether I'm going to follow after my flesh. It's one or the other. And if you sit and go to sleep thinking that nothing is going to control you, you have already deceived yourself. Because until you start making a decision to follow after God, your flesh and the world is controlling your decisions. That's why you see so much junk on television of every newscast that's out there trying to steal your soul. You look in Revelations, and it begins to say things like, and they were coming to sell purple and sell lumber and sell gold and trade silver and all these things. And you get down to the bottom of the verse, and it says, and the souls of men. My soul is not for sale. I don't care what happens around me. My soul is not for sale. I'm going to follow after him. I've made up my mind. I've made a decision. I'm in control of my destiny. Somebody says, well, I'm not in control of all the things that have happened. You might not have been in control of all the generational issues that's been handed down from one generation to the next generation, and now you're having to deal with it, but you sure can control whether you're going to adhere to those generational curses or you're going to turn around and walk away and tell the demons that are driving that, you have no authority in my life because I'm serving the Lord. I'm serving my God. I'm serving the Master. I'm walking in the Spirit. Making sense? God is so awesome. People that are bound doesn't understand what they're missing. People that demon spirits are controlling their lives have no understanding what joy and peace is all about. But because of decisions that their soul is making, they're jeopardizing their eternity for pleasures of the flesh. When you open doors, when you open those doors, demonic spirits stick their foot in so you can't close that door back. No matter how hard you try to slam it, no matter how hard you try to deal with it, it's not going to close. And those demons will begin to slither in 
and take control of an individual when God has given us another comforter. And we don't allow the comfort of the Holy Spirit to work in our soul. Why would I want to jeopardize my eternity? Well, it's listening to the condition of my flesh. For allowing demon spirits, either through Wicca, Baal worship, worshiping Moloch, worshiping Ashtar, all these different gods that have come in that says all your truth is relative. Your truth is relative to the God you serve. But when you look at scripture, the word tells us that Jesus is Lord. He's our Savior. And it's his blood that was shed that paid the price for our redemption so that we can have freedom and have peace in our soul. So, Pastor, why on this conference have you gone this way? Because the decisions we make is going to determine our destiny. The decisions that I allow to come into my mind that I have to choose from, and when I select one, is going to open up a door that either I'm going to walk in peace and have the joy of the Lord, or I'm going to be tormented by demon spirits. We're living in a world that's crazy. But it's driven by demon spirits. And demon spirits have to bow at the name of Jesus. They have no authority and no power. So when you're looking at the power of the Holy Spirit that has come into our life, I'm not worried about another COVID coming. I'm not worried about a tax on family. I'm not worried about a warlock coming into our church. I've dealt with them before. Had them come in. They sit there and mock, they chant, put the microphone down, walk in the back, and said, hey, welcome to the church. You can chant, you can do whatever you want to do. Just don't disturb the people around you. We got a deal? Got a deal. But my God's bigger than your God. That's all there is to it. It's like the old real McCoys. Remember the real McCoys? I'm telling my age now. No brag, just fact. That gentleman got up. We had an altar call. A woman brought her husband in. Her wheelchair was paralyzed from his waist down. Laid hands on him. Didn't know what was going on. Didn't know who these people were. And his feet began to bounce on that wheelchair. The daughter that was with him began to weep and began to cry. The mother, the wife that was there began to cry. So what's going on? He hadn't moved his feet in 13 years. And now he's moving his feet. This warlock got up, come down to see what was going on, to see what was happening. His name was John. 
after service, I locked the church up, walked outside, and John's walking up and down the sidewalk saying, nothing's happening. Everything's going wrong. He's got his head. He's holding his head. Everything's going wrong. I said, John, I want to invite you back. He said, oh, I'll be back. I'm bringing people with me. So bring them all. So what they do is they plant people to come to the church to disturb because they know that the spirits that are with them can disturb people that don't understand the power of God. But when you understand the power of God, it's like saying sick them to a dog. This man came back, began to watch what was going on, come to me. He said, man, you need to meet our people. He said, what are you, a miracle man? I said, no, I'm a child of God. Just doing the work of the kingdom. He said, man, we'll prophesy over you. We'll, we'll say all these things. We'll do all that kind of stuff. I asked him, I said, how do you do all of it? He began to explain to me. I said, man, I don't need you to prophesy, me, prophesy over me. I know who I am. He comes back to the next service, brings some guys with him. I was in my office. Bev was in there with me. I could smell them when they walked in the door. I was in the back of the church. Nobody, air conditions wasn't on back there. I smelled those spirits when they came in. I said, they're here. Bev says, how do you know they're here? I said, I can smell them. I walked to the front, and here they were in the foyer of the church. The guy that they brought with them hit that door. I thought the glass was going to break. Began to run down the neutral ground, the, the median, all the way down the street. And John was fixing to leave with them. I said, John, don't leave. I said, come sit down here with us, man. We're about to have church. He comes in. Power of God moves. People were being healed. People were being delivered. He comes down to the altar after. He says, I want to meet this Jesus you serve. He accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And this is the kicker. He was raised in a Baptist church as a kid, never saw the power of God, prayed with him, he left there, I didn't see him for a couple of weeks, I got a phone call one day and the office says, we got somebody on the phone that says they need to talk to you, so patch them through, got on the phone, it was a young lady, she says, are, are you the pastor that prayed for my brother? I said, well, ma'am, we pray for a lot of people. I said, can you describe him? I said, well, he was a warlock, came to your church, described him. I said, yes, ma'am, I'm the one. She said, I want to thank you for not running when he walked into the building. I want to thank you for confronting the spirits that was in him. I said, well, I hadn't seen him for a couple of weeks. I said, where is he? She said, he died the other day. But I thank God he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior before he passed away. And that's what she was calling. She said, I just want to thank you because he's with the Lord right now. Jesus will cleanse your soul. And set you free. I can tell you story after story. Bev alluded to some of it the other day. I went down to New Orleans, down to St. Philip Street. 
where they had a witchcraft shop. Walked in. I'd been on a seven-day fast. I walked in, and my head began to pound. And as I walked in, a woman was standing in the front. She hunched up like a cat, began to hiss at me, leaped from one side of the room to the other side. In the middle of the room, they had a coffin with voodoo dolls, had two different altars in there. The man that was giving a poem reading to a poor lady that was in there, he opens the curtain and says, what do you want with us? Leave us alone. And at that moment, I didn't know what God was showing me and what he was dealing with me for. I said, check this out. And I walked back over to the other side of the room where the woman was hissing in the corner. Brother, she leaped back to the other side. And I said, game on. This is it. All three of them run out of the building. And the Lord spoke to me and says, every place that your feet should tread upon, that's your territory. When I understand how to carry the presence of God, David says, I've got to have the presence of God back into Israel and built the cart put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, drove it, get to Nacon's threshing floor, and the, arc, the cart begins to shake. The word says the oxen begin to shake the cart. Uzzah puts his hand out to stabilize it, to keep the Ark on the cart, and he was struck dead. David now is in a quandary. What am I going to do? I've got to have the Ark back in Israel because wherever the Ark of the Covenant is, the blessings of God is there. And we see that with what happened with Obadidim's house. When they brought it to Obadidim's house, Obadidim, it says that everything that pertained to the house of Obadidim was blessed. David goes to inquire, how do I get the Ark of the Covenant back here? Realized he needed the Levites to come, and they brought a rod with them, put it through the rings of the Ark. And it's kind of like a type shadow of the people in the upper room. They were all in one place. They were all in one accord. And, and all of the Levites begin to bow themselves down and put the, the, the rod upon their shoulder. And they all came up in unison together. They were all in one place, one accord. The parallel of this is so unbelievable because when they begin to carry the presence of God back into Israel, Israel was blessed again. So what does it say? If I can look at Acts chapter 2 and begin to say where, when the Holy Ghost came upon them, they were all filled. They were all in one place, all in one accord, and they all were seeking after what Jesus had prescribed. Go and tarry until. Don't, don't, don't get messed up. They had 500 that showed up first, but now they're down to 120. Don't, don't get divided. You stand there until you're endued with power. They understood how to become carriers of the presence of Almighty God. You see, when the church understands how to become a carrier of his presence, when you go into a hamburger shop, demons will begin to manifest. You go to Walmart, get to the cashier, demons will begin to manifest. I'm telling you that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you become a carrier of his presence, your life is about to get exciting. 
it won't be drab, it won't be gloomy, it won't be depressing, and you won't have to do things that's going to violate your soul, your body, or your spirit. But in order to get the rain, you have to encounter the fire. And the fire is a fire of repentance. But after the fire, Elijah says, I hear the sound. I hear the sound. How long will you be between two opinions? And when the fire came, the children of Israel repented. Read it. They repented. And then the rain came. There's some of you in this place today that you've been through the drought and you've been through the fire. You can't bypass the fire to get the rain. You have to go through the drought, through the fire to get the rain. So when a drought comes, it's only a signal to start repenting because there's something that brought it. And when you start repenting, fire comes to purify the vessel. And when the vessel is purified, there's a rain out of the, abund out of the abundance of man's heart. He begins to speak. The word says, out of your belly shall gush rivers of living water. Here we are in New Orleans. And we've got salt water backing up the river. Why? Because of the lack of rain. The lack of rain from up north. The lack of rain from where we are. And they, they, you, you go to some of these places and you can't have iced tea without having salt in it. That's not iced tea. That's terrible. But the rain causes the river to flow. Rain causes the river to flow. So the rain will cause a river to flow in your life. He says, I will cause rivers in desert places. I will cause a way where there seems to be no way. And, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to cause you to spring forth over things that have you blocked. That makes sense. So there has to be repentance. And then the cleansing. And then the rain. Some of you are about to encounter a rain that's going to come forth in your family, in your job, in your finances, in your mind. That's going to clear things that needs to be out, that's going to cause things to begin to stir in your spirit, in your life. Hear what I'm saying? Repentance. And then the rain. Oh, it's about the rain. It's about the rain. Look, I'm not worried about what's taking place on TV, what's taking place around me. I know it's about the rain. I know that the next big thing that's about to take place is not COVID, it's not another war. It's not fear. 
I think that the next big thing that's about to take place is an outpouring of God's spirit, and it's about to rain on our nation, and we're about to see people getting saved by the groves like we have never seen before in history. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying get ready. Get ready because there's going to be an outpouring of God's spirit that your room will not be able to contain the blessing that God is about to pour out in your life when you're faithful to him. I think it's something to shout about. I think it's something to look at and say, you know what, God? I've been through the drought. I've been through the fire. I'm going to tell you, I've been through some fire. I've had to pay a price for things I never did. I'm telling you. I've had people, I've had family members do everything they can to destroy our ministry talk behind their back, pull their knives out, slice away. You know what? I've paid a price. I've been through the fire, and in the fire I've been repenting of everything that's in my soul that I could repent of knowing and unknowing things that I've done, things that I've tolerated. The things you tolerate today will capture you tomorrow. I've repented when there was nothing to repent of. Because the fire coming down to purify a vessel. And now I'm ready for the rain. And I don't have any boots. I don't have a raincoat. And I don't have an umbrella. I'm saying, Lord, pour it on me. I will not resist the rain. How many of you have been through a drought? Wave at me. You've been through a drought. How many of you have been through a fire? Come on. You've been through a fire. And now you're about to encounter the rain. There's something about to take place that's going to cause an outpouring of God's spirit in your life that you've never encountered before. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning or this evening? I don't know what time it is, but it's somewhere a different time. Do we make sense today? Now look, this conference has been incredible. And I honor you for hosting this, putting it on. I love the stories that you told. Last night we were at the table, and he was still telling me. And I said, man, you have done some stuff. You really have. But there's things about to come. You got to get your running shoes on. There's things about to start coming quickly, rapidly, fast because of the rain. And then this brother here, I mean, blew our socks off last night. Such humility but a heart for God. You challenge me, and I thank you for that. And I believe everybody that heard his message was challenged. I think that you need to go back online and listen to that message over and over, because there was so much in that message. There was a lot in that message. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to soak in that message. 
And I want, I want what he has. I want that humility. I want that desire. I, I'm so challenged. Oh, God, I'm convicted. You brought such conviction. I want to say thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to tell you, I think that this conference has been incredible. Incredible. If you go home and you're not taking something with you, there's something wrong with you. And it's, the problem is not in your spirit and it's not in your flesh. It's in your soul that you decided not to drink and not to thirst. They that hunger and thirst. And the original says, they that are hungering and thirsting, which means it's a continue. It's not getting filled once, but I've got to fill up, empty out, fill up, empty out, fill up, empty out, fill up. I can't get anywhere in my vehicle without emptying the tank. Think about it. You can't get down the street without using the gasoline in your tank. You have to empty your tank out after being filled up. And when you empty your tank out from being filled up, God's going to refill your tank. I've got to do something with that. I've got to make that change for me. And it's the decision of my soul to have him in my life. I want you to lift your hands right where you're standing. And I want you to call upon him to fill you today. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit because being filled with the spirit is going to help me do what you've called me to do. Father, I ask you right now that you would touch every person in this room. Father, I come against every demonic spirit, every hindering spirit right now in the name of Jesus. And we break it right now. Father, spirits of confusion, spirits that have come and tried to come and, and bring damage to our soul, Lord, we break it right now in the name of Jesus. And release your power, O oh God, in this room. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you touch every soul, every individual here. Fill their tank, Lord, today. Father, as they begin to empty it out in doing your purpose, guide them their steps, Lord, and fill them again. Lord, as we're thirsting and hungering for your presence, for you. Lord, I don't care about all the benefits that you give, although it's wonderful and it's great. I need you. I need you, Lord. The attributes are incredible. The things that the benefits are incredible. But, Lord, I, I need you. I need your presence. And, Lord, I ask you for an outpouring of your spirit before we leave this place today. That you begin to fill every soul, every soul in this room, Lord. I ask you, Lord, that you begin to quench the thirst, oh God. Cause them to be so full that when they go home to their place, oh God, they can empty themselves out to others. That would change a soul, change a person.
And Father, we give you praise. We give you glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you believe that, won't you give him a shout? Amen. Won't you give him a shout where they can hear you next door? Hallelujah. If you believe he's wanting to use you, give him a shout. If you believe your life is not going to be the same, won't you praise him for it right now? Thank him for it. Hallelujah. Man, we go to football games and basketball games, and we, go, we come home hoarse. But we come to church, and I don't know what it is, but we kind of just get quiet. I think we need to have reverence in the house of God. I do. But I think there's a time in the house of God we just need to praise him. Unrestrained, unbridled, just begin to praise him. And begin to release those things, those burdens, those issues that have taken place. And just release it off of you. And your praise, your praise is what changes things. Your worship brings you into his presence. You need to practice that. Man, last night, of course I was nervous. I've been nervous all weekend, man. And then I heard my brother last night and I got real nervous. Man, I was up and down all night last night. I doze off to sleep and I wake myself up praying in the Holy Ghost. My subconscious praying in the Holy Ghost. I took the covers, I took the pillow, pull it up over my head so I wouldn't wake my wife up. We need the presence of God yes. in our life yes. that our subconscious yes. is praying continually, working in us changes our life we love you guys appreciate you all very much amen well i think we filled up our our baskets didn't we you're going to take a basket back with you to hand out to those around you and in your neighborhood in your families give them some love and attention Care. You just might lead them to Jesus. I accidentally do that sometimes. You just be yourself. Be who God's made you. Amen. It's been a great time. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask one question. That's, is anybody here today that you have not asked Jesus Christ into your life and your heart? Raise your hand if you'd like to. Because I'd like to help you to know Jesus and to become part of our family. Anybody? Put it up high. If that is you. Okay, well, I'm glad everybody knows the Lord then. And I bless you. You're the head, not the tail. You are the redeemed of the Lord. You're the blessed and not the cursed. You can say so because you're a part of Jesus. Amen. And help others to hear the word of God and taste and see that the Lord, he is good. And his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Be friendly. Talk to one another. Show love to each other. God bless you. It's a great time.